0: This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics, and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Today we're going to cover the book, Walt Disney. The Triumph of the American Imagination by Neil Gabler. Eric is the one who chose and read this book, so I'm going to be interviewing him about the book. First things first, Eric, why did you choose this book? Uh, obsessed with Walt Disney? Just interested in how to build a multi-trillion-dollar business uh, that uh, basically runs the free world? What, what, what exactly are you,
1: were you, were you aiming for here? What what led to this one? I saw the book on a friend of mine's bookshelf last year, and I, I hadn't seen it before, so it, it intrigued me uh, seeing it there, and the reason I wanted to read it, and the reason why it struck, uh, struck me at my friend's house was that uh, when I was a kid, my grandparents lived about three hours away from, from Disney, and at the time, we lived in Minnesota, so when we would visit our grandparents, it was to escape the, uh, the brutal Minnesota wi- winters. And uh, so we'd visit my grandparents, and then work in a trip to Disney. So we, Disney, we'd go there. Disney World. Disney uh, World, the one in yep. Orlando. Yep. yep. Yeah. And then, well, and actually, then, the
0: one in Disney, Florida. Now it's got its own zip code, and it's, it's like its own city. Not technically yeah. Orlando anymore, I don't believe.
1: Well, and they call they call the 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 uh, L A one or the California one Disneyland, yep. and then the the Florida one, Disney World. And then, of course, we'd go to Epcot and uh, some of the other parks. But uh, those trips, uh, when I was a kid, they had, they, I see a lot of impacts in my life now of, uh, well, especially Epcot and just um, all, all the different countries and and future things. I think I actually even mentioned it in a previous podcast where, I remember the the first ride you go into in Epcot is the uh, the circular dome thing, and that thing is all about what was going to happen in the future, and we pretty much have all those things that were in that ride and so um just a fun just had really good memories from there as a kid and wanted to learn about the man behind all of it i'd never never studied anything about him or or, um other than just kind of the basics so this this is a big book it's uh it was 633 pages and so it goes quite into depth of, of about his life so that was the the reason behind wanting to to read it.
0: Yeah, and this one was actually recommended, as I recall, by Mark Andreessen. Anyway, uh, so that that that's where it comes in in the Books of Titans rubric, uh, mm-hmm. as it were. So uh, so so yeah. Tell us a little bit about Andreessen, uh, if you can remember anything.
1: Um, I don't recall that it was in podcast episode one sixty three of the Tim Ferriss podcast, and I, I don't uh, recall. particular reason why he he suggested that um but the book was written by neil gabler as he mentioned and he's uh he's hard to find i mean he's he's not on any social platforms (laughs) and so basically the only thing we have of him is uh his wikipedia page and then he he wrote an article in the atlantic titled the shame of middle class americans where he described the debt and financial difficulties of many middle and upper class Americans. And I, I guess he went on to describe his own uh, financial insecurity as well. And um, so th- that's pretty much all, all we have. He, he has written some, some, uh, some other books, uh, a couple I want to highlight. One, Hollywoodism, jews movies in the american dream that was written in 1998 and then he just last year wrote one about barbara streisand huh. actually, actually thinking about getting my my wife that one uh i think she did she'd enjoy that and sorry the 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 hollywoodism that was a film film that he did the the book that he wrote on that topic was an empire of their own how the jews invented hollywood huh. and he wrote that in, in 88 and actually after reading this one I, i'm curious to read uh to read that one as well
0: yeah so let's go ahead and get to the book itself a little bit more um first thing here is is there anything in particular that surprised you in in reading this book anything that that stuck out that that just kind of went huh what I I didn't expect that
1: yeah and and like I said before I, I I didn't know a lot about the man so uh all I knew was kind of the, the public persona of him as, as a happy-go-lucky, jolly guy all the time. And what surprised me the most is all the, all the talk about him in his studio. So he, he obviously started a studio where they, they did the animation and the animation movies. And he was, he was brutal. I, I mean, I, I, I read the Steve Jobs book by uh, Walter Isaacson. And there were a lot of similarities there between how Steve jobs and Walt Disney treated employees. Uh, there were, there was, they just, you know, I mean, just kind of brutal attacks a lot, a lot of times. And, and they, they were both going for a, a certain perfection in, and, and even the idea that Steve jobs had of, of, um, you know, the inside of the computer had to look as nice as the outside. It was very similar with Walt Disney where he, he would notice like if a button was undone on a, huh an animated character that no one else noticed or, 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 something, you know, just something crazy like that. That would perfectionist. Be, yeah. Perfectionist. Sort, sort
0: of like working with your wife in studio. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so th- that, I don't know. I, I just hadn't thought about what, you know, what would he have been like to work with? And, and, uh, from, from most of the accounts, it was not a pleasant experience to, uh, to work with him. And yet, the the result was kind of like Steve Jobs, you know, his his amazing products, amazing uh, films and and uh, inventions that uh, that Disney Disney did through that process.
0: Yeah. So what what would you say, aside from his overall attention to detail and obsessiveness in that regard, what would you say are the things that that really differentiated Walt Disney and made him made him successful after reading this book what what are the what was what was his secret sauce
1: well one was his imagination uh the the first full full length feature that they did of an animated movie was was snow white and he would he would come into the studio and he would act out the entire movie of how he wanted it to be and he would do that multiple times and, and it would take him three hours to do it because he would, he would act out every single character and he would do the facial expressions like the animators would actually get the ideas for facial expressions for, for the different characters from Walt doing, doing this, uh, <laughs> this play by play of the movie. And that, that made me think of Mozart who, who used M- Mozart would have a full symphony in his head before he ever wrote it down. and, Disney would Disney would have the entire movie in his head and be able to act it out. And, and, and then that's what people would go by. So that, that really stuck out to me as a, as a magic sauce. I mean, it's somebody, a
0: true visionary.
1: Yeah. To, to have that ability to have that much information in your head and, and recall it and then perform it over and over and over, um, without missing a beat it <laughs> is, it's unbelievable. Um, so that was, that was one big thing. I would say the other big thing is his partner in crime and his partner in crime is his brother Roy and Walt uh, somebody in the, in the book stated it this way: Roy's great desire in life was to stay out of debt. Walt's great uh, great purpose in life was to to stay in debt debt. So, um, they, they were, they were a good match because as you, as you said, Disney, Walt was the visionary, but, but, uh, Roy was the, the businessman, the the guy who got the finances in order. There was one case. Uh, I mean, Walt was just portrayed as, as a, as a, a horrific, a horror, horrible businessman to the point where at the beginning of his career, he would not even read contracts. And th- these were some <laughs> of the meetings that he did, he did without, without Roy. And so Roy would just be flabbergasted, but, but Walt, Walt would sign a contract with these major, uh, major labels and not even read the contract. And, and he, he, he royally got screwed in a lot of these, these contracts and it took, took him a while to, to get out of those. Uh, and, and eventually they did. But, um, yeah, if, if Walt, if Walt Disney didn't have Roy, working with him on the business side of things They we, we wouldn't know Disney as, as he is today. There, there may have been a few movies, uh, but they would have run out of, of money pretty quickly. Um, but on the other side, you can't just have a Roy Disney either. Who's, who's good at, at, at managing the books. And in that respect, it, it made me think a lot about, um, other partnerships that we've seen where, where you know, Steve jobs and, uh, and Woz. Uh, you've well, got- oh, well, and
0: also later on, Steve Jobs and the current CEO, the, the person who succeeded him as CEO. Um,
1: Tim, Tim Cook.
0: Yeah, Tim Cook. Geez. Yeah. Uh, I was actually talking recently with someone who worked with Tim Cook for a number of years, and he was telling me a lot of stuff about Cook and what makes Cook so impressive. And, and it's exactly that kind of contrast with somebody like Jobs that, makes, that would have made Cook so instrumental in Apple's success. In Jobs' second stint, because he he could handle all of these other aspects of the company. That the I mean, he was COO, operations, you know, uh, chief operational officer or chief operations officer, and handled all that stuff. That you know, the visionary leader didn't always want to consider, you know, mm. supply chain, all that stuff. You've got to have that. And I'm reminded um, there was one of the books that we covered earlier that we covered last year uh, that discusses the importance of finding. Uh, of of artists finding their their opposite or finding someone who can support uh, who, who can provide that uh that that rock and it's, it's escaping me which episode that was um but it definitely as yeah, I
1: mean, it, well but I, I i do remember that
0: yeah it's it, it was um i want to say it was it might have been bird by bird or uh one of the uh the show—it might have been "Show Your Work" as well. It, it could have been either one of those, but it also could have been any of the other ones that we recorded. But it seems like it might have been more likely to be one of those than than some of the others that we that we discussed. I don't I don't know if it, if you have any inclination of which uh which one it was.
1: Yeah, I, I don't recall, but I I, I just remember the. Ah, you know what?
0: It was probably the Artist Way.
1: Yeah, it might have been might have been that one. Uh, because like Gates. I Gates wish I remembered had, uh, that, but was it was it. Paul O'Neill, who Gates had. Or... Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've got these visionaries, but there's always
0: Paul Allen. I think you mean
1: Paul Allen. Yeah, yeah. Paul yeah, Allen. Yeah, yeah. But there, there's always there's always a balance. There's always got to be a balance with that that visionary, um, and so that that was other uh, that was another neat thing that really set uh, Walt apart. And the, f- and the thing
0: is, Roy wanted to stay out of debt, but he ended up having a lot more money in the end than, than yeah. he would have had had there been no no waltz. so
1: well and, and, and you know you always hear these stories. there there's a, a famous story of this at Apple as well where where someone got out early and they had five or ten percent of the company and, and you know you hear what that would be worth today, and they they got maybe like five thousand dollars for that that share when when they got rid of it. Uh, same thing with, with this book. There were there were a few people that got out early and um one guy had like twenty percent I think of the company and he he got out and you're just wondering, man, what, what would that be worth these days? <laughs> if if he if that guy's still at twenty percent of the of the company.
0: Yeah, and well let's think about this too. So you, you're talking about how Walt found ways to consistently put himself in debt what are what are some of the setbacks that this goes through i mean walt had i mean this was not a linear development of what became the juggernaut that that is the mouse today that is disney today what 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 are some of the more notable setbacks that this book goes through and what made them especially notable
1: yeah one one was uh, in the early 40s so you've got world war 2 going on which really didn't affect the Well, it it did. It did impact the the studio later on, but um, like the depression didn't hit the studio at all. But the the strike was was one of the first big tests. And at the time of the strike, they had twelve hundred employees after the strike. They had just a little over six hundred. So they they lost like half of the staff. And that was that was probably one of the biggest setbacks to in, in Walt Disney's entire life, because. He, he was he was a visionary but he also had this idea that everything was going to be a utopia so he he was creating these animations and, and it was it was his ideas and, and he was working with creative types and they were they were in this they were in this group together doing these amazing things and he wanted he wanted the, that camaraderie to be there in the studio and when that when people started getting upset and threatened to strike and then end up did striking that just that destroyed Walt's idea of the studio as kind of being his safe place. And you, you see from then that he really, his, his ideas started to diverge from the studio of being his, the studio being his only place. And it ended up being a good thing because then you've got where he's creating the parks and he's doing, he's doing city planning ideas. He's, he's working with, um, He's working with companies on different things that, that end up being uh, some, how some of the rides work at, at D- Disneyland. Um, and all those things may not never have happened without the strike. But he always said the strike was, was the thing that just really crushed his spirit. And then the second big thing, is, and this is so tragic, but he, him and Roy, once they uh, got somewhat successful which even when they were successful, they they just kept putting almost all the money back into the to the company. But uh, they finally had some money and they bought their parents a house close to them. And it was a that they, they they picked the house in particular because it had a, a heating system that was central to the to the house that I guess was unique at that at that time. This would have been in the, the 40s at sometime in the 40s. That heating system malfunctioned when his parents were in the house, and uh, carbon monoxide was was released. His father passed out, but his mother actually died from it.
0: Oh my gosh! And so I here, didn't know about here's,
1: that. Here's you know, he a house that he purchased for them, and his mom ends up dying in that house. Um, that that was that was kind of the, that was the other huge thing that just just destroyed him inside
0: wow so i imagine that that had a lot of impact on on him for the future what what came immediately after how did he recover from that or i mean i obviously you don't really ever completely recover from that but
1: Walt, walt was an interesting guy i mean he um he never went he only went to one funeral that the book talks about. And you, the book actually doesn't go into a whole lot of how he dealt with his mother's death. Um, the, the closest thing is, is seeing that he didn't really go to anyone else's funeral. Um, and, and even when, uh, so he, he, he was a chain smoker and, and ended up dying of, of lung cancer. But even when they found the, the, The lung cancer and they knew he, they told me at six months to two years, him and everyone in his his family, they just kind of denied it like death, death to him. It it wasn't real. Um, and, and yeah, there, there was just this, it was like, he was going to imagine himself out of, out of that situation. And so the book actually doesn't talk a lot about how he dealt with his mother's death just because i think i think he avoided it
0: hmm. interesting so i mean in, in other areas of life was, was was his strategy in terms of of handling some of those setbacks was his strategy just avoidance and and sort of power positive thinking them away or did, how how did how did he handle these kinds of setbacks i mean obviously you mentioned the thing with sort of changing his approach about the studio being his, his sanctuary. But, but beyond that, what, what else?
1: Well, he used it, he used it as his story. So he had uh, you remember the Steve Martin book? Yeah. yeah. Where his childhood, he, he said it was just horrible with his father. It, it reminded me a lot of, of Walt's childhood. And, and he, he would always talk about how horrible his father was to him and how he had to overcome that. So whenever there was a setback in in Walt's life, he would talk about how he was overcoming or how he had overcome that to become the person that he was then. But as you see it written in the book, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of leeway in those stories. There's a there's a lot of imagination in it, in it I guess, to where some people don't think the way he described things was was really as bad as as how he said they were um but either way he would he would he would turn it into a story of how he the little guy overcame these these setbacks to become who he was and he he, he just continually did that throughout his his whole life interesting but it, it was also part of his public persona he wa- he wanted to be the everyman um, while also being kind of a tycoon. I mean, he, he, (laughs)
0: yeah, that's always the, that's always the fascinating thing. Like, Oh, I'm just your average, you know, your average everyday millionaire. Yeah. Or in today, you know, you get your, I'm just, you know, one of the people, I'm just one of you guys. I just, you know, multi-billionaire. (laughs) That's just like everybody else.
1: But there, there was one scene in the book where this is after he knows that he has, cancer and he didn't, he didn't tell anybody he, his immediate family knew. And that, that was pretty much it. Um, he went to the studio and just like was beaming, like acting like everything was okay. I mean, people knew that he had been in the hospital, but they didn't know that they didn't know it was as bad as, as it was. And there was one guy who saw him and Uh, Walt did not think anyone was, was watching, but that this one guy could see him from a distance or something. And when Walt real, when Walt thought, okay, no one's here. He said, the guy just kind of withered down and crouched down. And it looked like he had aged 20 years in, in that five second interval. That's
0: fascinating.
1: So that, that really tells like it, it, that, public persona what it was all about the public persona but when when he finally let his guard down when he didn't think anyone was one was looking the guy said he looked like he had just aged 20 years
0: huh so again the showmanship of of disney really front and center there Mm -hmm. um one of the things that's always stuck out to me that's always been interesting to me is is how disney so, so successfully mined old fairy tales and old stories and then gave them a modern twist and then applied those and used those as foundational stuff for you know what disney became known for i mean things like the little mermaid eventually uh would obviously after disney disney's death but that kind of that kind of film uh mining these these old myths beauty and the beast you know these sorts of things is there any discussion of of that in the book and and how he came to to do some of those things and came to came to to view that um those old fairy tales as uh as a good um source of of creativity for himself and and a good uh, a good way to use what was in the public domain for his own his own uh, his own stuff
1: yeah the uh, gabler talks a little bit about it and it, and it's kind of like disney just had a a, a sixth sense into the the myths that move mankind I I guess it's the the best way that I can put it and womankind (laughs) Uh, but but like to the point where he could even predict where things were going and so they the book talked about the three little pigs story being something that helped America get out of the great depression as odd as that sounds to us (laughs) now but there's the song who's afraid of the big bad wolf the big bad wolf and and like that that song become a became a, a an immediate cultural phenomenon. People were singing it, Um and so it was like that movie Dang it, told now that song's the story. Gonna be stuck
0: in my head when I go to bed tonight.
1: <laughs> that that movie told the story of of America in a way at that point in time, and and was like a a catalyst of getting them out of that mindset in in some strange reason. So Gabler would talk about that as as. Walt almost having a, an intuition of combining these, these old stories, these uh, these fairy tales, and and matching them with the mood of the country. Uh, so that that was one really cool thing. And uh, another thing is like, w- where he would get inspiration. A lot of it was from his daughters. So his daughters, would would have uh, would be would be just reading a book. And he'd be what book are you reading? And they would tell him the story and he would just get so enraptured with the stories like we have to make that into a movie. And so he he would get he would he would hear of stories that way. He he was known as someone who didn't read hardly at all, but he would read. I mean, he would read scripts, but I think he just kind of he would hear a story or or his kid would be reading a book and and he would take it from there. And then with his imagination, he just, you know, it it would kind of create it would become a life of its own.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that's interesting if you in, in talking about you know knowing where these things are going and all that is how he typically twisted he always gave a, his own characteristic twists to these various stories uh particularly in giving them happy endings. I mean if you mm. read the the original yeah. fairy fairy tales that he's pulling these things from, you know, the, they they don't end well, right? Yeah. Little Red Riding Hood does not end well. I mean, it's just well, not you know, uh, Hunchback you know, of Notre Dame. Hunchback yeah, he of did, Notre he Dame. You didn't, he didn't does, do that. But. Does not end well, right? It's the Little Mermaid movie. dies yeah. at the end of it because you 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 know as a child you're being taught like you don't go against what your father, you know who knows better says, right? You you learn not to do those. Things. But Disney consistently um, found ways to tweak to just alter these stories and give them a real positive twist which is something that's always fascinating to me
1: except for bambi and he got he got ridiculed for bambi Bambi. and bambi was during world war ii so it was bad timing and he hurt he may have that may have shifted his how he how he proceeded with movies going forward because he was so land blasted for bambi getting killed
0: land blasted (laughs)
1: <laughs> lamb lamb blasted right?
0: yeah um yeah 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 I mean, that's interesting so do you think that after after that uh after getting so destroyed for that he 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 altered his approach there
1: yeah and that but then just that was his his nature i think too of just every, everything ends well always on, always on the always on the bright side of things
0: <laughs> there's another another song
1: we don't we don't talk about death you know yeah that, that kind of that kind of idea
0: so what about his what about his relationship with his wife is there anything in there uh, uh he was as i recall married to uh to lillian who was an inker right she was uh she was an artist for uh that that actually worked with him on a lot of stuff mm-hmm. uh any discussion of his family life beyond his parents and and all that 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 uh anything interesting come from that in this book
1: yeah uh and his wife was not impressed with him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's welcome to welcome to marriage, buddy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, they kind they kind of had a uh, Okay. They they traveled a lot together, and whenever they stayed in a hotel, they would book a room with double beds. So, that says a lot. Um <laughs> The other story says
0: they it says they were they were, you know, early twentieth century. You know,
1: yeah, yeah, I guess so. The the other story that Gabler hits on is is um. One of Walt's Walt would just get so attached to his dogs, and one of his dogs died, and he wanted to get an autopsy on the dog because he was absolutely convinced that Lillian had poisoned the dog because she didn't like the dog <laughs> so i i think that gives a little insight did they
0: get the autopsy done i
1: they, I, they didn't say it, di- it didn't say in the book but um but he had wanted to get an autopsy done
0: well, now i want to know if she you know actually did but
1: yeah. um and then uh, uh, just a few other things about about their marriage they they had three miscarriages and and those were were really devastating for them um and like, you know, Walt was just over the top on everything. So like Lillian would be pregnant and he would buy a new house because they had to have a bigger house for a kid. And then they'd have the room already and everything. And then, and then she would have have a miscarriage. Um, so they ended up having two daughters, one daughter of natural birth and then one adopted. Uh, and they never talked about adoption. Like, like that was just their child. Like, except, except the, the daughter that was adopted, some kids were teasing her or something one day. And so she, she asked uh, her mom if she was and her mom just said, yeah, you're adopted. And and it was like, it was so brief that it wasn't really the right way to, to say it, I guess, but (laughs) they they talked about that. But, um, but yeah, overall, uh, the, their, their marriage kind of seemed to be, I mean, they stayed together. They, they, Walt had one wife and as far as anyone knows, he never had an affair or anything, but he, he, at the end of every day would, he had a confidant at, at his office who was a woman and she would, he, he always had a lot of pain. So she would do like some massage type, type stuff on him. And then he would, he would have a drink, uh, with her. She would make him a drink. He would have a drink with her every night. And so this is like from five to six 30 every day this, this woman was like his, his confidant. He told her everything and he didn't really tell his wife much. Uh, so after he would have this, this end of the day drink and, and massage with this lady, he would go, he would go home and have <laughs> just... dinner with the, with his family. And I mean, I, 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 the, I, as far as I know, they all knew about it. Like, um, yeah. and there was nothing sexual about it, but it, it was just, just
0: a massage was, and a drink.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was just odd. Like, um, so, yeah, that that woman was almost like his wife, in the
0: It's it, 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 it what you hear these days called a work wife, right? A work spouse. Yeah. So it's just always a weird concept to me. It's just you know I'm not not real comfortable with that that concept. Uh, as you know, but anyway, um, yeah, you do see that a lot. So that's that's an interesting thing to look at how his, um, how his particular familial ties worked, and that, again, you wouldn't expect. That he would have such a i don't want to say uh unloving, but you know uh, this this guy is a consummate romantic, yeah right, and you can have a perfectly loving marriage and 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 completely satisfying home life without a whole lot of romance, but you know this guy you know he is he defines in many senses uh, uh this artistic romantic. And it sounds like his his family life was anything but. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a fascinating thing. Now, what, what how is his wife? Does it talk about her her take on on the money stuff in terms of his uh, tendencies toward being a bit wild in that regard?
1: Uh, there, there's one comment when when he tells her that he's got the idea to build a park, and and she just kind of she she just thinks it's the dumbest thing <laughs> ever, and. So yeah, she's not she's not thrilled about that. I mean, and you're you're looking at multiple millions of 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 debt at to at that point. And yeah, they I mean they just always kind of were in a state of debt to fund new things. And 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 Walt was just never satisfied with with what he was doing. There there always had to be that next thing, and, and those next things would would cost a lot of money. Um, and and ultimately the vision the vision paid for it many times over, but, um, but yeah, I, I, it, it yeah, it was just so weird. I mean, you, you've got Walt Disney, one of the most, the biggest cultural icons of, of, of that century and, and his wife is just not, not, uh, impressed at all.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, so, um, one, one other thing I want to, I want to really dig into a little bit here is again, getting back to this idea of, of financial limitations and his financial uh, his financial practices, you know, there were a lot of times where he was steeply in debt, where, you know, he did put hundreds of millions of dollars into a park project that it wasn't sure it was going to work. How did he handle, yeah. how did he, how did he manage to, to get around the financial limitations that he had to be able to build the, the, the company that he did?
1: Well, I'll share three different uh, d- different stories from, from the book. First, uh television actually paid for most of the park uh the first part disneyland in a a really interesting way uh uh, disney did a contract with abc and at that point abc was just kind of the new kid on the block and that show disney owns
0: abc yeah
1: i mean that show just took off and it it made abc who they are but then the the deal was that the money that they made which, from that which, a- which B- show was
0: this um, was it the Mouseketeers
1: that was part of it that was the daytime programming and then there was it was basically like a commercial about Disneyland so they would huh. they would have different uh, animations and stuff but then Walt Walt would be describing what was going to be happening at Disneyland um, so it was kind of like an extended commercial for for Disneyland but but people didn't really view it that way. And they said TV was is people knew Walt Disney's name, but then when TV came along, they knew his face. So he became as recognizable as as Mickey Mouse um, for the for the Disney franchise at, at that point. So TV paid a lot of the way for. For uh, Disneyland, the creation of the the first park in California, uh, the two other stories of of just financial prowess, and I I don't know. How much Roy was involved in this? How much of this was was Walt's idea? There was a point in time where they were getting ready to film for the movie Treasure Island, and this was this was going to be a live action film as opposed to to animation. And at that time, there was a, a quota of of a sorts in in the United Kingdom where only a certain percentage of the movies shown in the theaters could be from other countries like the majority have of them had to have been produced in the United Kingdom at that time Disney also had a lot of money in the in the UK that they that it was prohibitive to get it out and get it back into the United States I, I believe because of, of tax recently. yeah
0: it's, it's it has to do with with uh, offshore offshore money then being brought back into the into the states yeah
1: so the way they solved that was by filming everything of treasure Island in the UK. So they used the money that was sitting in the UK to pay for it. And then they got around the quota because it was a movie produced in the UK, even though the whole company was owned and and run out of, out of California. So that was one just brilliant.
0: Yeah. Everybody does that stuff now.
1: Yeah. But well, but, but you also hear about a lot of companies that just have money sitting overseas doing nothing. and and they're either waiting for a change in the law where the taxes become lower. And we just had
0: that in the U S where a lot of those things, a lot of companies are bringing back a lot of money right now because (laughs) that tax just fell just fell a good bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, but you, you, you more often hear about companies that just leave the money there as opposed to trying to do something creative with it like that. So that, that was one thing. The second thing was, um, and I think this, again, uh, uh, issue, issue of taxation, but um, uh, it was getting towards the end of Walt's life and he was thinking about the best way to, to, to give his money to his, his daughters. And the estate tax would have been to where he, he wouldn't have been able to give them as much money. So he, he and, and, and it ended up not going through, but it was, it was just another one of the uh, neat ideas where Walt was gonna have one of his daughters write his biography and then his daughter would have gotten all the proceeds from that biography. So it was a way for him to, to invest in a project now that would have paid dividends to his daughter later Hmm. on. Um, so again, I, I don't know how much of that was Walt's. Uh, I I mean, based on everything else we know of him, he not, didn't really care about the financial side of things. Um, it wasn't his consideration, um, or how much of that was Roy's ideas, but, uh, just some, some brilliant ways to get around some, some financial limitations, uh, either from taxes or, 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 uh, laws in terms of how many movies could be produced in a given country.
0: That's interesting. Again, applying his creativity to, in this case, to places where ordinarily you wouldn't imagine given his, uh, other financial, uh, 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 problems or, Mm -hmm. uh you know difficulties um you would uh you you wouldn't imagine that he would he would find ways to to do that sort of thing but again his creativity seems to be the thing that set him apart as much as anything Mm -hmm. um all right so as we move forward um actually let's take a take a moment do you have any favorite quotes or favorite words from this book uh we, we we typically uh typically do that uh and this would be i think a good a good section in the uh in the discussion to to bring out a few of these
1: yeah i'll I'll highlight two one is a quote from from Roy <laughs> "Our product is practically eternal,
0: yeah, I mean he's not wrong, yeah, great storytelling it stands the test of time, yeah, and if you tap into that sort of thing it really it really can work, yeah." So any others?
1: Yeah. The last one was, was, uh, one of the last two pages of the book. And this was a quote by the author. Uh, he changed the world. He, he had changed the world and very simple, but, um, I don't know, after reading through 630, 30 pages and, and seeing all that he had done, all the ideas and not just, not just animation, not just movies. Um, he towards the end of his life was big into city planning and and was reading all. Actually, the only books they ever talk about him reading were were books on city planning. Uh, he founded uh, California Institute of the Arts, something I, I had no idea about. Um, just all the and, and all the inventions they did to make animation. I mean, their animation films were head and shoulders above everyone else at that time uh, because they they were they were inventing so many new ways of, of doing the, the, um, the animation. And a lot, a lot of those ideas were, were Walt's, Walt's ideas. Uh, and, and for that, for that to to be the kind of the last thing he, he had changed the world. It was, a uh, I I would have to say it's true.
0: Yeah. I mean, there, there's no questioning that he's one of the most influential figures of the 20th century. I mean, I think if you had to name 10 figures that were more influential than Walt Disney in the twentieth century, I think you'd you'd have you'd be hard pressed to do so. I mean, obviously there are some really negative figures on that list. I mean, Adolf Hitler is one of the most influential figures of the twentieth century due to due to what he did. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Disney's Disney's probably on that list. And, yeah, and in cul- terms I mean, of, culturally, in terms is. of his lasting contribution to society and culture, I, I don't think there's any question about that. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and wrap this with the final question here: Who who then? so as you're reading this who who does Walt Disney most remind you of so you know you've just spent 600 pages learning about this guy and are there any any similarities or or any characteristics that remind you of of anyone else uh, who 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 is more of a modern Walt Disney or who who does he remind you of
1: he reminded me a lot of of Da Vinci and I I've got hmm. the Da Vinci book on my list this year and so I may take that statement back but from what I what i what I've read about Da Vinci in, in, in terms of, of his interests, um, the way he approached things. Uh, I mean, even the animators would study, uh, Walt, Walt would have the animator study, uh, carcasses and to, to, to learn how the muscles worked and learned how that and, and Da Vinci was very well known for doing that where, where, you know, it was, you're not supposed to do that at the time, but he would, he would get in and, and cut open the bodies to, to see how the, the body worked so that he could paint it better. Um, Da Vinci was an inventor. He had, had interests in all sorts of things. Um, and, and that, that was Walt in, in many ways. I mean, he, it wasn't just animation. It, It was, it was all sorts of, all sorts of things, all sorts of inventions. And so him and then, uh, Steve Jobs a lot in, in yeah. kind of the...
0: I think there's a lot of Steve Jobs and what little I know of, of Walt Disney. Yeah.
1: yeah. The, the obsessive eye for, for detail. Um, and also his ability. I mean, I think
0: both guys had the ability to sort of distort reality around them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That, they, that their vision would just... They, they were just able to offload their vision onto everybody else around them and everybody would believe in. Yeah. And that, yeah, that To was the that.
1: point where people were not being paid. I mean, they they just, they they didn't have money, but his story, his his story was so good that people wanted to work for him. Believing that it would, it would, it would ultimately pay off.
0: Yeah. It's just, it's fascinating that you, you you get, these people were able to have, this is the kind of person that's able to cast his vision so charismatically that, like you said, people are willing to do it for, for nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, well, as long as I can come along for the ride, I want to, I want to be a part of this. And that's fascinating. I mean, that's that's religious leader kind of kind of charisma, and yeah. and actually Disney and Apple have kind of become quasi religions in that in that sense for a lot of people. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that's an interesting. I think those are interesting parallels. I hadn't thought about him as a as a sort of modern Da Vinci. I mean, Da Vinci was was so brilliant uh, and and was so wide ranging in what he what what he knew and studied and so on. That's an interesting thought. I hadn't hadn't considered that. Well, um, any additional thoughts or, uh, or points of discussion that we didn't get to in this that you think need to be, uh, need to be addressed, uh, after, after the reading of this book?
1: Uh, one other, one other thing that I thought was really cool is just, he, he just went with whatever happened. Like during the, during the war, he had to create a lot of educational movies for the government. He even created some propaganda films, which he he did not want to do, just for uh, obvious reasons of of a studio being being uh, connected with propaganda films and, and what that would do after the war and, and all that. Um, but he would even he would get hired by companies to do. Uh, there was a New York State Fair, and, and he would he was hired by governments and companies to to do. Uh, do different d- displays at these fairs. And those displays ended up being a lot of what you now see at Disney World, where there's there's live figures talking. Um, the idea for the small, it's a small world after all ride. Oh, came
0: please don't put that song year. in my head before before bed. <laughs>
1: um, but it, it was just really cool to see how all these things in his life work together. And it wasn't... It wasn't a straight line, but it was just whatever he was interested in, that became the next thing. He he all of a sudden had this crazy obsession with trains. To yeah, he, and
0: the monorails, right?
1: Yeah, but he built a train around his house, much to the chagrin of uh, of Lillian. <laughs> but um, he was just obsessed, and he, he would get involved with these groups that would, would make small trains and stuff like that and then he would create the these worlds around the these smaller trains and and it really set the stage for what became his parks and if you it, the parks his idea originally came he wanted to have a train that would go in a circle that people could ride but then a park within that train so even this this crazy like obsession with trains ended up becoming the genesis for a park like that no one had ever seen before and most people said that the that park would never work the the way he the way he talked about it but just crazy things he would just kind of go with whatever his obsession was at the time and to see how that led to different things was was a really neat really neat thing in the in the book and willingness
0: to commit to vision is just fascinating right i mean because a lot of us how many of us You know, we wind up having an idea and it's like, you know, that's a pretty good idea, but we're not willing to commit fully to it. And then, you know, five or 10 years later, somebody else has capitalized on a very similar or exactly the same idea for, you know, multi-millions. Yeah. It it happens more often than I think any of us would like to admit, but I'm sure it's happened to to those in the listening audience. I know it's happened to both of us. Mm -hmm. So. You know, it's it remind. It's a good reminder. I think uh, there was there was recent, per, uh, recent quote I heard from someone that there's million dollar ideas just sitting around on the ground all over the place, but uh, you have to be willing to uh, be unconventional, live live an unconventional life to be and and embrace whatever idea that is that you find and pick it up and run with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, in order for that to that to work out. So, and, and Disney did this over and over again. Uh, even when they didn't have the the finances, so really interesting. Any other any other final things?
1: Uh, I would just say if if uh, if if you like Disney, if if you if you like the movies, if you like the parks, I think you'd really enjoy the reading the book, just kind of seeing the the story behind it. And and one thing I thought of while reading this book, and then also reading the books uh, about Van Halen, is I think you know. Last year, we, we read a lot of books that were suggested by people. That uh, you know, they're they're good books. They're 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 recommended by a lot of people. But they they weren't necessarily books that I've that I've been dying to read or or subjects I've been dying to learn about. But when when you pick up a book like this, I mean, for me, I I, I love Disney. I mean, I, I I still love going to to Disney World, um, and Van Halen's my favorite band. So whenever I read a book like this on Disney or, or about Van Halen, I, am I'm going to remember more of it because I want to, (laughs) um, I'm going to read it faster because I'm so interested in it. It's not going to be a drag and it's just going to be an, a better overall overall experience in like with, with the, the books that I've just mentioned, I learned a lot of business ideas. I mean, even, even how Walt would, would use, uh, that that financial thing of 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 doing Treasure Island in the UK, I mean that would be a perfect example in a in an international business class, um, and then also the contracts and how they got screwed on the contracts, and and same with Van Halen. Van Halen just got brutalized with with the the early contracts they had, and um, to to see these things, if if you're super interested in in that topic, you're gonna get a lot of the main lessons you would get out of a, a business book. But I think it's even better because hmm. a business book is never going to tell you to do things like Disney did them. They're never going to tell you how to do it like Van Halen did it. Van Halen had to do crazy stuff to 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 get to get noticed. Uh, Disney, <laughs> I mean, no one would ever read a, write a how-to book on on Disney. But but when you're really interested in a topic, that's that that's the books you you should you should read because you're you're going to get a lot of the the good ideas and you're going to remember them more. So that was, that was something else I was thinking about a lot on this book of just really being sure, not, not to just read books that that I think I should read or, or people say I should read, uh, but, but to really go deep with, uh, with my interests
0: interesting and and I, I couldn't agree with that more in terms of well first of all business books are generally going to give you conventional stuff which will get you conventional places
1: <laughs> yeah and secondly
0: yeah. you know it's really important to, to find the stuff that does interest you that can help set that vision so yeah it's uh, those are those are I think valuable things to to get out of uh, this experience of reading it well, anyway, that's gonna. I think that's a good place to wrap. Uh, so, before we get out of here, just a reminder: you can follow along with us at booksoftitans.com. You can interact with us at tw- uh, on Twitter or Instagram at books of titans. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast. You can find all of our past episodes, which include a range of books including some unconventional business books uh some that challenge the conventions of things some a little bit more conventional and a number of books that are just completely out there in in other areas including some fiction and all sorts of other things you can find all of our past episodes through apple Podcasts, the android marketplace your podcast manager of choice eric and i both prefer the uh, podcast manager overcast this is not a uh a, uh, a, a sponsored message for what it's worth. Uh, although, you know, hey Marco, if you are, if, you're, if you ever listen to this podcast and you want us to uh, to you know maybe put a little bit more advertising out there for Overcast, we'd be happy to do that. But uh, if you're enjoying the podcast either way, give be sure to give us just effusive five star ratings and, and and tell us what you uh, most enjoy about this uh, this podcast, uh, particularly on Apple Podcasts or iTunes and share your favorite episodes on social media. We'll be back soon to discuss the next book, uh, which I believe will be the Tao Te Ching, uh, which uh, I will be uh, discussing a little bit of. In any case, I'm Jason. He's Eric. This has been the Books of Titans podcast. Keep listening, keep improving, keep reading, in whatever order you choose. Thanks for listening.
1: Keep it.